what gets me excited about Microsoft, DTDL, all of the things that they're layering in to their process is they're the elephant in the room. They have the actual size and reach to be able to take this and move it forward. And you could say persuade, but I think it's probably force vendors, solution providers to develop to a standard. You're listening to the Beyond Buildings podcast, where we talk to innovative leaders on how they create optimal value in a smart world context. We combine strategy and technology talk to absorb reality, embrace uncertainty, and to go from path dependency to path creation. It's smart cities, it's smart buildings, it's data strategies, it's construction, real estate, and industry 4.0. And most of all, it's smart people. And remember, it's the data that you don't have that will change your life. With your host, the future shaper, the ecosystem architect, Nicholas Wern. This episode is sponsored by Iden PropTech OS. Iden PropTech OS is an operating system for property owners that unlocks all smart building benefits in a future-proof way. Used and supported by Microsoft Azure and Scandinavia's largest property developers. Stay tuned to discover more about them and why companies love this solution. Welcome to the Beyond Buildings podcast, and today we're talking to Joe Gaspardoni. And Joe, please. Sure, thanks, Nicholas. So my name's Joe Gaspardoni, as just said, and I'm the COO of Montgomery Technologies. Montgomery is a company comprised of two divisions. One is what we call the old business, is riser management, which is restricting access to the riser, security access, screening, things like that, managing the vertical cabling in the buildings. And in this fiber optic world, making sure that everything is tracked and where a cable starts and ends vertically up the riser is a known, everything has its place, knowing where everything is. So that's the 18-year-old business. What we call the new business is the intelligent riser. And intelligent riser is just our product name for a secure building network, a dedicated building network. So that's the assessment, then the design, the build, and the ongoing monitoring and maintenance of everything that runs the building. And that's sort of the new business, the one that has just uh, continued to explode as we have this mass move to IP. Awesome. I think that's perfect. And I think like you're the first one that goes, uh, you know, first with the business. So I'm taking that you own the business. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're uh, longtime owners and owner structure. And hey, this is my 30th year I'm celebrating. If you could call it celebrating, some people would say something different. But I've held a variety of roles. I founded an enterprise software company in the mid 90s that we successfully exited in 2001. And I've been in operations in commercial real estate for much of my career and as a property manager, as an asset manager in finance and in syndicating deals. So I've kind of had the benefit of seeing all aspects of operations and been on the technology side. So I kind of think of myself as a unicorn a little bit that way. Awesome. Okay, so you really quick as in making the introduction to what you do as a business and also so like your background extremely quick. What do you want to talk about? You know everything. You are the unicorn. Is there something that you don't know about or do you know everything? I've never actually been asked it quite that way. And uh, boy, that is a high bar. We kind of see ourselves as being in a unique place. We work with building systems of every age, every type, every model. We have people on the ground all over the country in every major metropolitan market every day. And over the last 10 years, we really get to see and work with many solutions. So I feel like from a fiber optic standpoint, from a networking standpoint, there really isn't much at this point we haven't seen. However, on the technology side, we've got a lot of new solutions that are hitting the marketplace that are very deep, that have bi-directional communication to the BMS, that are standardizing data, tagging data and delivering it, centralizing it to the cloud. And that's where I think people are really focused. And so I'd say that from that perspective, one of the things that we're always learning about is what's new and what's hitting the market and how, as a company that gets asked the question all the time, because we don't sell any of these solutions, we just make them run. And so when we get 
questions from buildings typically centers around, hey, you guys see everything. What works? What's going to be here in five years? We don't want to put our hang our hat on a solution that's going to disappear in three years and cost us a bunch more money. So from our standpoint, the things we really like to learn about are solutions and then working with those solutions to get a comfort level so that they can essentially make our list of recommended standards for the industry. How do you approach that? What is your approach then as in are you tied to any vendor or, or is it more like you work with all of them? And what is sort of like the end results as in what you give to the customer? And also when you're sort of like approaching these new technologies, do you have like a test bed of your own where you test this stuff out? Let's start with sort of like the vendor neutral aspect, if that is even the case, right? Yep. No, that's 100% the case. And it's really important to us because we have to work with everybody. We sort of see ourselves at the root level, I like to say it this way, we don't make the building systems, but we make the building systems run better. That's how we, we like to think of ourselves as foundational in that sense. Every building system has some dependency on connectivity. Wherever the data is going, whatever other particular system is talking to or communicating with, that depends on enterprise level connectivity. So our sole focus is to build the right infrastructure at the right price point for the building that is going to enable the solutions to run and stay connected with SLA 99.999% uptime. So everything we do is around making sure that whatever the building wants is running and connected at maximum uptime. So that is as far as we get in terms of our focus. However, as you might imagine, when you're coming into a building and you're coming in in that way, it's just very common that we get asked about solutions. Right now, one of the common threads across the country is, what are people doing for healthy air? What are people doing for touchless tech? What are people doing for temperature sensors and scanners? And so it's really important to us to be, since we're kind of in a consultative position where we aren't selling those solutions, but we do want to be able to answer the question. And so that's kind of what we see as our role is being able to provide neutral value to the customer, to the building by recommending those things. In that space, what are you seeing right now? I mean, now we're sort of like getting vaccinations, I think, into COVID, maybe like in the next six months or so. Are people getting back to buildings? Have they been away from buildings? Are they still away from buildings? And now these places are, again, making sure that they are trustworthy to come back. They are safe and all these kind of things for them to come back now after. So like all these things that are going. What is the status right now in the US or the companies or the clients that you have? The current status is that every building is still mostly empty. There are a few spots where people have returned to work to some degree, but mostly empty. The vast majority of the buildings are budgeted to spend money in 2021 to solve the problem. As you know, these buildings are notoriously slow because they have budget cycles and they're tight with money. So, But the vast majority have budgeted dollars to spend in 2021 on some type of healthy building solution. And the types of solutions really are incredibly varied right now. Everything from plasma boxes on air handlers to ventilation control and air quality indoor and outdoor so they can compare the two and deliver information to tenants. But all of it is around one central theme, and that is Every building needs to be able to message to the tenants at some point in 2021 that it's safe to come back. And so they're looking and analyzing, assessing solutions based on being able to have a very clear message to the tenants that it is safe to come back. And how that manifests itself is, as you might imagine, is very fragmented. Some communities, some counties, some cities have more restrictive requirements and more legislation and other ones have less, but the message is the same. Hey, we've made changes in our building and you can come back. 
Awesome. And I think that's a little bit different as in Sweden. We haven't had a lockdown. People are still in commercial real estate. There is, of course, a little bit of a, an exodus from cities into rural areas and these kind of things. But it's not the same as in the U.S., where I know for a fact as well, the buildings have been empty. It's actually getting people back to buildings. Are you trying out all of these systems? Do you have like a test lab or like a, your own laboratory where you test these things out? Or how do you get to know about these touchless controls or all these sort of different technologies? Yeah, the way that we do it is we don't have test labs. We don't have the really the bandwidth to try out the plethora of solutions that are out there. But what we do get to do is we get to work with each one as they get connected to our network. So because we have the benefit of having hundreds of buildings with the Intelligent Riser installed, we're able to basically connect each one, connect it the way that the building requires. If it needs to communicate with the BMS, we don't physically do any kind of coding or any customization with systems. But what we do do is we get the specs that the vendor has and we ensure that their connectivity to wherever that data needs to go, whatever bi-directional communication needs to happen, we take that, we put it on the network, we secure it, and we make sure that it's operating the way that it's intended. So we get to know very quickly what really does work and what is sort of an 80% or 60% solution. (laughs) Awesome. And how do you communicate that out to other people as in either your customer base or even so like giving feedback to the ones that are the vendors of these new technologies? Is that also like an open dialogue or how does that work? Because I think that makes it so much sense to share this information, especially nowadays when people are want to go back to buildings and there's such a plethora of options out there. Not to say like IoT platforms in general, but it's also these hitting the market right now and camera systems that sort of detect temperature and all these kind of things, right? So how do you go about it from a sort of community ecosystem kind of perspective? Sure. We do two things. One is obviously there are a lot of people coming to us to ask the question, but at the same time, there are a lot that don't. And we want to make sure that they know what we know. And so what we tend to do is put out, and usually it's twice a year, but in 2021, it may be a little more frequent, maybe quarterly, essentially the equivalent of like a a newsletter. It's not formatted as a newsletter. It's formatted more as grounded information, but we basically will step through the problem, the solutions that we've seen without selling them, but just to say, hey, We know everybody has this need and has this requirement now. And here are some of the things we've worked with that are worth the time for you to investigate because they are functional at scale across the country. So without getting into the sale or anything, we know these people are going to be doing RFIs, RFPs, and we want to at least let them be aware of who to contact to fill that out. I think that's perfect. That's sort of definitely needed in the industry. Everyone is sharing what they do. And again, like bring more transparency to even that side of the market. Because I think there's been, especially in the US, maybe of course elsewhere as well, but there's such as like an opaque layer of what is going on in terms of pricing and vendor lock-in and all these kind of things. So I think that's a great approach. That's kind of what we see as the value point for us is if you're a property manager or you're a regional IT manager, And even if you're a CTO, you have very limited ways of figuring out who's real, who's not real, who's got a half-baked solution, who's got a real solution. So there are very few people that are handling all of these different solutions day to day and can give you an educated answer without trying to sell you something. So that's why we value, we feel like we have something to contribute there where we can put the building on a long-term path of success because we're not involved in selling those solutions, but we do work with them every day. Speaking of long-term success, I listened to the podcast interview that you had, and I loved everything that you said, to be honest, about like how property managers, how they buy, how technology companies should so like talk about these kind of things, what are selling points, and everything about it. But I think one thing that stood out to me was the reverse 80-20 rule. As in getting started with the the ones that have a long-term focus for their assets, 
and get sort of like stuff going there, really test it out, figure out the price points and these kind of things, and then scale it up or scale it out to the ones that have more like a short-term focus, the want to flip buildings and these kind of things. Is that how you work still today? Or was that only in the beginning when you started out? It's funny, we were one of the few, and I would not advocate this for anyone who's entering the market as a solution provider, but because we came out of riser management, we were already in buildings where we were in the 80% where you don't want to start. And that put a huge pressure on us to come up with solutions that were affordable enough, but robust enough to fit within the 80% budget cycle. Now, the silver lining of that is that we now have an enterprise solution that is very affordable, that buildings can fit in for a single need and migrate systems over time. So we have a scalable solution that can be sized to fit the need. But most companies don't have the luxury. We had the luxury of time because we already had revenue from the riser management business, the vertical cabling. But most companies just don't have that ability to work that way. And that's why I tell everyone it's so important to not get into the transactional side of the business, what we call the 80%, until A, proven your solution with the college campuses, the Google campuses, where they don't have the dollar sensitivity the same way as the transactional buildings. So if you get into this market, you've got to focus on the 20%. You've got to iron out your solution. And then when you start to achieve some scale in that 20% and your cost basis basically for your solution is starting to go down, then you move into the 80%. And too many companies are not understanding that. And that's why they fail after 30 years in commercial real estate and watching companies blow up over and over again. It's because they try to approach commercial real estate the same way as another vertical. And it's just not the same. I see that all the time, even from my own experience, as in treating buildings as buildings, you know, like as in every building is just a building. But I mean, there, there's such a difference to even buildings, as in retail, critical assets, uh, campus environments, uh, whatever, whatever, right? But it's also these uh, transactional versus the long-term focus also that I think that eluded me for far too long. So I wish that you told me this five years ago. <laughs> and I'm a little bit mad at you, to be honest. But I think this is phenomenal. So it's basically the way why you're saying this is, of course, to help people so like enter the market in the right way to not get blown up, well, maybe for good reasons then, that's great. The thing that I'm thinking about right now is that, okay, so you're proving it out for the so like the long-term asset management. So then you want to go over to the transactional buildings. But then we go into this territory of digital twins, let's say, or your product, that you're selling this as a service to that building, right? And then what would happen if there's a lot of data in well, in your sort of like database or in enterprise solutions or comes with the territory having these as a service offerings to the building. And then let's say a new owner buys the building, they want to do something else or like there are two things to this sort of primarily that I'm thinking about as in, is everyone okay of paying this extra money for the services that you provide as a service to the building? As in, because there's some vendor lock-in to some extent, right? As in, you follow with the building when the transaction happens and these kind of things. And also the other one, does it incur a premium? Can you say that the asset service, having this intelligence, being able to do this and future flexibility, whatever it is that you want to do in the future, does that incur a premium of buildings yet? Or is it more like it's getting there? What are your thoughts? Yeah, commercial real estate, especially in the transactional market. Now, the first thing is you have to understand when we say transactional market, what that automatically means is that every dollar that comes off the bottom line is a 15x multiplier on value. So when you're taking money off the table, for, you know, if somebody's paying you two grand a month, 24 grand a year, it's not 24 grand, it's 24 grand times 15 because they're going, that represents the value of the building that you're taking off the table. So from our standpoint, we do a number of things. We stay very far away from intelligence as premium on value because it hasn't been proven, it can't be proven yet, and it's really something that's going to take many years of data to really prove out in a way that's believable to this market. 
being a, an institutional investor myself, we all shy away from fuzzy, mushy data where people say they're going to raise your rent per square foot by a dollar. We don't believe it. And we not only don't believe it, but then we start doubting your solution because it's not a real metric. So from our standpoint, the way we ground what we do is in real dollars and cents. So we say th- we will show them in proposals things like you have eight circuits, eight internet connections, all separate, running eight separate systems. When you consolidate this, you're going to save six of those circuits. You're going to get a primary and a redundant with diverse pathways as much as possible for redundancy and emergency. And then we're going to save you the cost of those six other circuits because you no longer need them. So that's real monthly dollars, real OPEX that we're eliminating for them. Another way we explain it to them is, look, every new solution that you add over time, if you don't have a dedicated network, you're going to pay the CapEx of a new network for every single solution. They're going to have to have switches, some type of security. So you're going to be paying off that CapEx over and over again for every new solution you install. And then how do you manage all that ongoing? You don't have the staff to manage. You don't have anybody in a building who has network experience. And on the corporate IT side, very few, maybe three or, or fewer real estate management companies manage at the building level. They usually stop at the property management office in the building and they don't understand building systems at all. So we have a very elaborate process for change management, for redundancy, for architecture that essentially takes all of that heavy lift off of the building and then puts it on a management platform. Now, that being said, Nothing about what we do in the building is proprietary per se. So if the building wants to switch managed services, they want somebody else to come in and manage the network, they can do that. They own the equipment. We don't own it. It's part of the asset of the building. So we rely on our ability to do an enterprise managed service offering so well that nobody ever wants to leave. And that was proven out in this last year through the entire pandemic. We never lost one customer, not a single one. And that's because we've had 10 years to get this right. And we really have covered the different things that can crop up in a building to maintain that connectivity. I think that's a great approach. Basically, what you do is you're raising digital maturity in buildings, you're getting it to one API, and then you just have your solution sort of like at the top solution. So if the customer don't want to use it when they're like selling the building, they're free to do so. But they still have like the core benefits of you having been in there and raising digital maturity forever, right? So I think that's a great approach. And the reason why commercial real estate is so attractive to solution providers is because once you are in a building, Unless you totally screw it up, you're going to be in the building for the long term. They don't want to change vendors. It's a huge headache for them. So as long as you're doing your job competently, you really can be in there for decades. And that's the great thing if you're a solution provider. Now, as you know, and I know, getting in (laughs) is the hard part. But once you're in, you can be there literally for decades. I think that's awesome. And I think that sort of goes well with the open future, future flexibility in these kind of things. But then we sort of like move into the territory and how do you raise digital maturity? Because now when everyone is talking about, or not everyone, but the ones that are at the cutting edge, I mean, we see that uh, Microsoft coming out with their digital twins and digital twin data language and, you know, ontologies, ontology-based or taxonomies like Haystack and ontology standard brick schema and RDF based and real estate core from Sweden, you know, all of these kind of things as in, again, trying to raise digital maturity more in an open way and with templates and you don't have to reinvent the wheel at all times and going away from manual ways of working. Also with FTD stuff and energy analytics, as in more, we have the building, we have quality data from the building, and we can apply then machine learning models or analytics tools, again, from the top that works with whatever it is that you want to do, right? So more from a holistic perspective, I would say. So have you started working with ontologies or like you're looking into that aspect? Because I think that's the buzzword of the buzzwords right now in combination with digital twins, of course. 
hundred percent. I think we're at the very, 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 very tip of the iceberg for that. And this will obviously scare a lot of, of other vendors, but what gets me excited about Microsoft, DTDL, all of the things that they're layering in to their process is they're the elephant in the room. They have the actual size and reach to be able to take this and move it forward. And you could say persuade, but I think it's probably force vendors, solution providers to develop to a standard. Right now, what we see is completely fragmented. We basically ensure connectivity to the cloud for certain types of data. Some of it gets consolidated. Some of it is just going nowhere, but you would like to have it being consolidated. For example, all the air quality data and all of the health scanning stuff, those types of solutions would really benefit from being tagged and put into the cloud with the BMS data because you really could do some real actionable sort of tweaks to your system to improve comfort and health. So we just don't see that yet because nobody's really rallied around a standard. And Microsoft has that scale to be able to push that forward. And the other piece that I like about what they're doing is they're using their own buildings as the guinea pigs to work through the issues, to sort of ensure that the standards are broad enough and deep enough to deliver actionable data to the cloud. So if you get subsets of standards from different vendors and then you've got a consultant sort of stitching it all together to make it usable, you can get there. But do you really have something that's scalable in the long term? Probably not, because it's going to need constant tweaking and getting new systems on board. And that's great job security for some folks, but it's not necessarily the standard that you want to put your hat on, right? Yeah. In the big, big picture, my feeling today is, whether it's Microsoft or something else, but right now it would be Microsoft, we don't get on the Microsoft standard train, then we're in for another 30 years of like fragmentation pain because it's very difficult to get there otherwise in this industry. In all fairness, I definitely think that you're right in everything that you're seeing, but you also have like Google Buildings ontology, which is sort of similar. We follow that pretty closely. And the difference with that is, if you really get under the hood there, they really are solving for their need and they are creating an opinionated system. Well, when you get under the hood as to what is opinionated, it's that it's opinionated for their need. <laughs> but when you're in a transaction market, that doesn't necessarily solve for that. And that's probably the shortcoming there. Here's more from the Beyond Building sponsor, Iden Proptic OS. Iden Proptic OS is powered by the data mapping capabilities of the open source semantic language Real Estate Core, which unlocks a host of smart building benefits. By leveraging the potential of existing building data, owners can facilitate better building utilization, new customer services, and more efficient building communications. Iden Proptic OS is free from reliance on proprietary systems. It connects smart buildings to a shared development marketplace, new services, and possibilities on a far larger scale, including the latest energy, certification, utilization, and communication applications. If you want to scale into the future and have a platform to go beyond buildings, then PropTech OS is something for you. Find out more at idenrealestate.com. I listened to the podcast with Matthias Fogel, I think. So I'm looking into these kind of things. And I'm pretty deep into the digital twin territory, working with ontology-based digital twins. I think that the ones that I'm sort of seeing that sort of go above and beyond, because we're at the Beyond Buildings podcast, of course, right? So... They are the ones that don't necessarily work with a data model because I think that's a limitation. And I think that's also what you mean with the opinionated like GBO, Google Builders Ontology, as in they map data to a certain structure, which is like UDMI, I think, when you select a scrape underneath the surface. And I think with DTDL from Microsoft, there's also limitations as in parts of their stack can do some of the things that they say that they can do, right? But then when you want to use all their tool sets, as in Azure IoT, Azure Core, all these kind of things, they don't support DTDL to some extent. So there's also like, okay, you can use this in this part of Microsoft, but if you want to scale and do some things on the edge, for instance, or whatever, no, you can't do that yet. And the yet part is interesting. Yes. It is still in its infancy, right? And I think that's what you're coming to as well. I mean, they have the muscles, they have the strength to do this and to open this up. 
But I think like the fundamental sort of like challenge that I see also with this is sort of like, what is the time for value creation? As in, I think they transfer it into JSON some things in order to like write this to the ontology. So I also see that this is sort of like in a tool set or in like kind of kind of a flow tool or like Node-RED kind of style where you can drag and drop from the technical asset managers to sort of like really democratize this. You got to write code. You got to do these kind of things. It works on parts of the stack, but it doesn't work here. And it's also like the digital twin data language that they have for smart buildings. They're going with a industry semantic ontology, right? Which is real estate core. That is true language of getting data. And I've been talking to the founders there as well. It's for property owners to get data out of buildings. It's best when they work with other taxonomies and ontologies like Brick or Haystack. Those are more fundamental to the very specifics of building automation purposes, right? But then we go back to the challenge as in lighting systems, occupancy, indoor air quality, these kind of things from a metadata tagging perspective. Because even if you can know that there are things in the building, you get that out for a property owner to say, okay, now we know that this exists. If you want to do analytics and proper, you know, like ML stuff or AI stuff on top of the building, there's a little bit more that you need in order to do these kind of things as well. So overall, it really goes back to sort of like the saying as in, will real estate learn technology faster than tech companies will learn real estate? And I think like most people sort of like know the answer to that question, as in it's probably tech companies that we learn real estate faster, right? Have you started working with digital twins? Did the customers, are they asking for it or are they more asking for, we want this benefits as in collaborate easier with different players around the building. We want data integration to happen faster in a much more like standardized way. And then you say, okay, oh, this sounds like it could use digital twin technology Or is it more as in the beginning of IoT and big data, as in, we want to do something with IoT. We want to do something with digital twins. Exactly. Well, the short answer is we are just now the first implementations of some level of digital twins in some of these buildings. Correctly, most of the digital twin work is going to new construction and non-transactional buildings because that's where the money is and that's where they can get their feet fully into the water. But what I would say is that the challenge for digital twins today in the broader marketplace is that it puts incredible pressure on process. If you think about what you're trying to track and the change management involved for all of these different systems, and then you see the skills gap at the building level, and you see the skills gap at the corporate IT level, A lot of what we see today is the digital twin will happen as the building comes out of the ground and then it'll just fall apart later because there's just no process for all of the changes that occurred in the building. And so from our standpoint, we see one of the future value points that we provide as we're the gatekeeper for anything that gets connected in the building. All the ports are locked down by default. So anything new that gets connected to the building has to be documented has to be provisioned, and then has to be connected and verified. So the fact that we're sitting in the gatekeeper role means that more than likely for a true ongoing digital twin in a building, our essentially our API is going to be passing the information that the building needs to know in terms of what's connected and where and what comes online that's new so that you can keep the digital twin in sync with the building. And going back to Microsoft and Haystack and Brick, I think that they all, right now, nobody's there. I just think that the muscle that Microsoft has makes it more likely that they can get there. And I always call it like the Brick and Haystack models is sort of like if you can't see the forest through the BMS trees, (laughs) they're so focused on the BMS that they're forgetting the other 29 systems that are online in buildings at scale. You've got to have a way to handle that. I think that's a limitation of like smart buildings industry in general, right? Maybe I am colored by so like the fact that we've been in like HVAC uh, kind of things and BAS and BMS side of things, right? And speaking at the EHR Expo, looking at BACnet and these kind of things as well. I think like you're touching on a point where like when you talk about digital twins, 
what role do you see as an visual digital twin? Because I think like the digital twin data language, ontologies, schemas, all these kind of things. That's sort of like when I look at a digital twin, I see two parts. Is the visual digital twin that foster collaboration between people? I think that has been neglected for far too long. I know of industry professionals, I'm not going to name any names, haven't really got to the point where they understand that the visual component is extremely important to get this done. Yeah, it's Critical. critical, right? Because getting the buy in. Getting these done from a, like a holistic perspective where there are, like you say, like 29 different systems, there might be like many vendors involved that would raise digital maturity. If you don't have a visual digital twin that is not only at the floor plan, but it's a digital twin of the building and its context, might be even like pulling in from the organization, these kind of things, that is a problem. Because you can't get the decisions. You don't have a shared reality to work with. I'm telling you what to say, but this is actually a question, Joe. I hope you understand that. (laughs) Yeah. What do you think about the visual digital twin? What do you think about that aspect? I don't think you can get very far. It's certainly not to scale with digital twins without a visual component. I just don't think you can do it because the operation side of real estate is going to require that they can't get easily under that layer and manipulate and take action. There are a few people here and there that can, but most can't. And so you're really talking about like, well, what if Apple didn't have a UI? Well, how in the hell would we all use it? That's the parallel here. Like that kind of comes back to what I was saying about enabling the visual digital twin. If we are tracking the floor and the location and the type and the model and what have you of any device, then passing that to a digital twin and letting them render an actual model becomes an order of magnitude easier. But more importantly, every time the building adds a water treatment device or adds 12 new pieces of gym equipment that are connected and passing data, like all of these other systems become trackable and show up in the digital twin by default. And I think that is so critical. I just don't think you can get the buy-in from commercial real estate until they can see that rendering and understand how to manipulate it. I agree 100%. And I think you're the first one that has said this or agreed with me. <laughs> maybe like, <laughs> or maybe I forced you to it, right? But I mean, like, it just goes back to what you said before as well, as in the ones that are making these decisions, they're not necessarily BAS, BMS experts. They focus on like the value and all these kind of things. And I think like working with construction as well, if you're talking about that aspect, for them to make the argument that sometimes for the ones who actually make the decision, when they don't have a visual component and they have to say, okay, you don't have fiber optics for like the last two floors of your building. If they don't have like a visual component, whether it's drawings or even better, something like, like BIM models where they're tied in or whatever, it's really hard for them. Because everyone then sees like Excel sheets and these kind of things. And then there's like three GCs or like subcontracts that are like battling it out to say, no, 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 this is this, this is that. And it's just like so difficult for the ones that don't have this nitty-gritty experience or knowledge to sort of like see these things. And if they don't pop out in a natural way, as in a digital twin, like a visual representation of that building, it's almost impossible. And I think like the decisions that are being made today. It's just a lack of visual component that would sort of like drive this industry to making better decisions much, much faster because there won't be an argument to be made because this is real. This is the building. It's coming from the building. It's not like they we're saying that this might be the case. This is the case. That's That factor is so important in getting this to be done, right? But I see this all the time. It's 100%. Having spent half of my career on the operation side of real estate, I can tell anybody listening with absolute certainty that if you can't get a visual representation in place, then you can't get scale in this industry because the way you said it is so true and so powerful. If I can see it and I can see where the fiber ends or I can see where the sensors are and somebody's telling me we need to add a new one or I can see where the gym equipment's gonna go and how we're gonna increase airflow when six or more are being used. When I see the visual representation of that, I can make a decision then. I don't need to like 
sit on it with a spreadsheet and then like six months go by because I don't really want to look at that spreadsheet. Yeah, and then you probably need to involve all other people as well, right? So I think like the That's most right. powerful aspect of a like a real life connected digital twin, VR, AR, or just like 2D plans or whatever, I don't care, is that you can sit around it in a room, virtual or not, and then you can just discuss around a physical entity that exists in the world that is connected to so like with light data. I think the first component is like the visual component for people to make decisions together and all these kind of things and do it faster and agree on a shared truth and reality. But the second part is when we go back to the backend digital twin of the integrations of data coming on from the like real world as well as the context, as in asking the digital twin what and run simulations based on emulated sort of like world. So emulation means like that the digital twin takes in data from the real world, which allows these people to run simulations. As in, what happens if we put these switches here? What would happen if we remove this wall and put it here? What would happen if we have thousands of people coming back to the building at this given point in time and we run the air handling units and the HVAC, all these kind of things together? Where are the problems that we're seeing? To see this come alive in front of you with heat maps or whatever, again, like these decisions would take months to make because the HVAC people have to like compare this with someone else and then they have to get the decision making, the buy-in, the budget. If all these things are tied even to like the budgetary mechanisms or whatever, you can see this in real time. Okay. And then you can ask, okay, what is the most optimal way of making this building come to life? based on these requirements, either we, do we want to do it for energy purposes or health and well-being? What is so like the North Star that we have? And also run simulations based on ML stuff or AI stuff, whatever, to sort of like figure that out. Yeah. Because you are working with a parametric design and generative design intent in a way that it fits both man and machine that can also be transferred into decisions coming out of a, like a two-hour meeting. When does that happen in this business today or like anywhere else, to be honest? I think like the digital twin is so powerful that most people are not there yet. Most people, if not all people, will be there at some point in time. Yes, that is the true power of visualizing it. When you make it concrete in a visual way that it can be collaborated upon, then what you've done is you've shortened the entire decision-making. And the only thing I disagree with you on there was it's not months, it can be years because it might take months <laughs> to decide and then it takes another year for the budget cycle to be able to actually do it. So by collapsing that into a visual, if I can then emulate off of that, if that data is accurate and up-to-date, I can say, Okay, these six uh, pieces of exercise equipment, when six or more are being used, we're going to increase airflow. Okay, what is that energy usage? Model that for me and tell me my expense for the year. What's my increase? That's the real number. The real number is how much more is this going to cost the building? And then I can make a real decision instead of putting it off because I don't actually know. That is the most important thing. And then we go back to the ontology side of things. Like if you have one building, you have everything in ontologies. And then when you want to onboard the next building, that's going to be even faster. And then you want to onboard the next building after that one, it's going to be even faster as well. This kind of way of letting people work together, solving these needs, creating sort of like universal template that is open for buildings, that's going to drive digital maturity in buildings like we've never seen before. That goes back to, again, like the dramatic change and the speed that we see and I always, always, always go back to 2007. The smartphone, what was that? It was an app store on top and a UI, UX, something that was more visually pleasing. Go back to 94. Bill Gates, Steve Jobs are talking about so like the visual windows. Instead, it was a DOS environment. They went in visual interface. That's exactly what happened in 2007 with smartphones. I think that's exactly why we're almost there with buildings. But we're sort of stuck on back-end digital twins. We want to have the standardization part. But I can bet you, I don't know, 10 bucks, 100 bucks, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> that someone, either in the construction space or whatever, they're going to be the new Apple. They're going to sell, like they're going to create smart buildings. And the after effect with that would be, it's not going to be a broken industry anymore. And it's basically what you're doing already. As in raising digital maturity, you allow predictive maintenance, these analytics tools to come in full force to the building over time, right? 
So I think like we're seeing this shift happen before like our very feet. It's such a, an interesting time to be in this industry. I really think so. First, I need to know, are we betting in krona or dollars? Because that matters. Bitcoin. <laughs> well, hell, who knows? who knows what that could be worth? Uh, yeah, know, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Let's put it in dollars. But I think yeah. we agree on that perspective, right? Here's the analogy. And since you're beyond buildings, I think this is really where it goes, is even if it becomes an Apple, an Android, even if we have more than one standard, if we get some level of scaled standards, then where beyond buildings really means is if I can reliably pass with enterprise connectivity, if I can if I can get the data consistently to where it needs to go, and you as the organization can roll that data up, so not just at the building level and actionable data there, but if I can roll that into my larger organization beyond the building, and then I can take that portfolio level view and really start to compare and model buildings against each other, and make decisions and make policy decisions based upon that, then I've achieved the ultimate goal, which is when I do sell a building, it's a standard. And the standard uncouples, decouples from the data feed. But because it's a standard, it has value for the next organization that takes it up. And then they are able to benefit with that from there forward. That's the real power of the standardization. And that's why at some point, somebody's got to pick and go with a couple winners because to get to that and to really leverage and harness the power of that, we have to hang our hats on some level of standardization. I disagree with that sort of like last one, <laughs> to be honest. Okay, so beyond buildings, that's why I try to do research, you know, like uh, talking to your connected vehicle side or industry 4.0 or space station stuff or whatever that could be. And I think the analogy is fitting as in with Tesla, you know, the Tesla approach is they have the cars, they have onboard logic, the same as a building should have onboard logic, right? And then they have a way of transferring some or all of the data, probably just some to the cloud. And then they can do over-the-air updates and have more like a fleet management. So that's what we're talking about, like portfolio management. It's sort of like the same data strategy. It's sort of like the same stuff anyway. And it's like making them self-aware or self-driving buildings as in self-driving cars. It's very, very similar. Don't forget the parallel to Tesla is Tesla created their standards. They vertically integrated, just kind of like Apple. And they're very tight with what they do. And that's how they get there. When you look at buildings, that's why that's so important is if you really want to do it at the higher level, at the organizational level, then you are going to be very dependent on having some pretty tight standards underneath, or you're going to be constantly scrambling to recover little pieces along the way that fall off. Exactly. So I definitely agree, right? And I think like the difference is you know, I'm from Sweden. We got like Volvo Group, Volvo Cars here. I've also been talking to a lot of automated players before when I was a management consultant. I know the the problems that they've had as in buildings, as in they have to work with legacy systems that are not made to push data to the cloud. They're not made to share data and all these kind of things. So no, just getting like a connected vehicle from their own legacy systems has been extremely problematic <laughs> yeah. from existing vendors. And I think that's exactly what you mean. Tesla had an approach where they did everything fundamentally different. They built like a software company and that happened to deal with automotive. It's not necessarily the case because they also have challenges, right? It's more of that approach as in having a modern data strategy than all of the traditional vendors or like automotive companies. And that's why we see like the value of Tesla is skyrocketing because they have data at their fingertips whilst the other ones, they have like a fragment of the data. The way that they can work with AI and machine learning also for the internal processes is extremely fragmented because they have such an organizational legacy that is brutal. The point that I'm trying to make is that I've seen these new technologies that work without a data model. So again, going back to Google Billings Ontology, even like Microsoft DTDL, they're working with some kind of data model and they're mapping other data to some kind of industry-specific structure. And that is a challenge because one of the biggest problems with digital twins is that they're not necessarily interoperable. And it's combining digital twins from different areas, as in from a smart city perspective, you have a mobility digital twin, you might have a building digital twin, you might have an organizational digital twin. Once you want to create sort of like value from these together, it becomes a problem because the data is skewed 
into the digital twin from the beginning because you have to map it. And then it's sort of like a battle between, no, 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 we're going to use your mapping structure. No, 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 we're going to use my mapping structure. And that sort of like limits the possibilities of creating these ultimate digital twins. But when you work with other types of approaches, as in having an ontology that can sort of like is based in a foundation from like a smart world perspective and you use the ontology to model the data. So the data stays the same. Uh, whether it's a PDF file or IoT data or building data or whatever that is, you can model the ontology after that data and then that gets absorbed. That sort of puts something else into the mix as in the standard is being created by how the world looks like in that specific field as in buildings or Industry 4.0 or organizations or whatever concepts that you're looking at as in the back end as well as the API as well as the visualization, it mutates where it's looking at from a digital twin perspective. That's right. That layer that you're describing really has to have enough flexibility to accommodate a wide variety of old and new solutions. That's the monumental challenge, right? Is does anybody have the resources and longevity to be able to tackle that in a way that lets you operate across a lot of fragmentation. You look at the big four and the BAS, big five and the BAS world, and you see the same parallels to what you described with the car companies, where they're just structurally, it's so, so much harder for them to innovate because they're structurally not set up that way. We see it all the time because randomly, if Siemens is coming in to do a million dollar upgrade and implement Decigo, they still, to this day, they don't have anybody with network experience at the local level. So they would actually put in this incredibly secure network or system with incredible layers of encryption that, that pass government standards. And then guess what they do? They open port 80 and say, okay, it's working and it's wide open to the internet with no firewall. <laughs> and it's like, you got a million dollar solution that's wide open to the internet. And I use that only as an example to illustrate that it's so much harder for those companies that are organized and set up and have so much structure and bureaucratic structure in place to actually come at this in an innovative way. So more than likely, it's not going to come from there. It's going to come from the other side. That's sort of like the Clayton Christensen innovators dilemma. The way that they structure their business is fundamentally different from how a modern startup would sort of like scale up and these kind of things. And also that their revenue stream is dependent on hardware sales and these kind of things. So if that becomes a commodity, and also if there's like vendor lock into whatever solutions that they have from a vertical solution perspective, if someone like you comes into the building, so like decouples it, and then they say, okay, well, you now you can go back to Siemens, Schneider, Johnson Controls, Honeywell Trading, whatever, and say that, yeah, you can install this if you want, but you can also use whatever web agency that you want or this new startup. It depends. It's your choice to do these kind of things. Then would they go with something? That requires, you know, like constant upgrades. That is this uh, gargantuous entity. <laughs> maybe, maybe if you got an airport to spare or whatever, or critical infrastructure, it makes a lot of sense. But I think, like, again, like going back to like, where the disruption may be happening. And you're looking at home automation companies coming up. They have fantastic stellar products working like more from a B2C perspective. So like that's going to drive adoption of these kind of things from a normal customer level. I'm used to this at home. Why can't I expect it from a building? And also the same fact as in going from the mid up, the innovators dilemma for the ones of you that are listening to this, read it, is basically going to tell the tale of what will happen to these giants in the next five years if they don't play their cards right. That's what I believe 100%. The reality may be that those solutions are still solutions in the larger ecosphere. In fact, they just uh, open up enough to pass whichever standardization layer wins, whatever gets implemented. They just open it up enough where they still are the root level solution provider, but there's somebody else layered on top of that. I hope that's going to be the case. And I'm working a little bit you know, with Schneider here in Sweden. I think that got a good approach, both from a community perspective, ecosystem perspective, and also working with open APIs, right? And quality data. I would say now they're the most innovative of the big ones. The most, they're the most, I don't know if they, nimble might not be quite the word, but they are. No, but I really think so. Especially what you said, they're nimble where they need to be. 
and they're yeah. robust where they need yeah. to be. And I think that's sort of such an important play to make that you're not getting stuck in old ways of working. Maybe they take a hit a little bit now in the next couple of years, but they know that the future is all around open software, open APIs, uh, open source, all of these kind of things. And it takes like a community to build these things as well as in a global community kind of sense. I know they partnered with Brainbox AI for some work in different markets. And so the fact that they're willing to take those steps means that they're positioning themselves for the future. And that's really all you can ask right now. Absolutely. They have so much clout. They have so much value. I think there's such a fundamental value what they bring to the market in terms of knowledge, uh, robustness, and these kind of things. So I think if they play their cards right, and it's not buying these startups or scale-ups just to quash them, <clears throat> I'm not going to mention any names, but uh, <laughs> like the way that Schneider, again, works as in a more like an ecosystem kind of way, partnerships, uh, these kind of things. And I think that's definitely the future. Any final words that you want to so like tell the people, tell the world? I mean, is it a dystopia we see in front of us? Is it utopia? How do we get there? Whatever it is that you want to say, say it now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's so critical as we move to these solutions and just thinking about what we've talked about for the past hour and how dependent all of it is on enterprise level connectivity. It just, and I know it's self-serving, but it really wouldn't matter if I were on the operation side or still in software, I'd be saying the same thing. If you can't implement an enterprise level connectivity at the root level, at the building level, then everything you layer on top becomes a management nightmare with multiple networks, a communications nightmare, integration nightmare. One of the LBL studies from two years ago, there were buildings in their studies that, that failed because they were down for nine days because basically there was an outage and then nobody could get to the building and figure out how to reset the equipment. And you can't layer these next generation solutions on top of a hodgepodge patchwork architecture and infrastructure. You just can't. I welcome more entrance into the landscape. It's not about Montgomery per se. It's about, guys, you have to start with the fundamentals. You have to have connectivity to enable everything. And it can't just be ordered a circuit and it's working today and then you leave, it has to be, okay, how am I handling redundancy? How am I handling security? How am I handling change management? How am I handling high availability for my firewalls? Like there's just so many pieces to it that are really the building blocks and the foundation upon which you rely on for the long term. That would be my message. I love what you're saying, right? You want to build the future, of course, on future technology, but you have to have the base plate. You have to have the foundation. And I think there's so many people right now in the prop tech space or whatever that they take this for granted. Even IT giants think that it's easy to build solutions on top of buildings. I think that's also why like Google and all of these companies, it's not easy because existing buildings, they're so different. They're so unique. And there's such a plethora of challenges that exist in this market. I really appreciate that you're coming on the show, that you're sharing these things, that you're making this like help to people and companies coming into this industry now in order to save time for them not to get blown up and to just like increase faster time to value creation and getting better buildings. Because I think that's the most important thing as in healthy, great looking buildings that are, you know, energy optimized. That's the value as well as the tenants perspective and like the people perspective as in well-being productivity play. So I think like the next conversation is going to be probably about healthy buildings, people in buildings, and also like the missing piece of the puzzle when it comes to actually building new buildings. I love it. Can't wait to do it. And I'm happy to share that information because it's really the only way we can get there together. If you don't have the complete picture, then it's just that much harder for us to all make this change to a better place. The only way you do that is from learning from each other. So happy to do it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Joe. Thanks, it's been Matt. a pleasure. A lot of fun, a lot of passion. I can sense that from both of us. And I love that. <laughs> yeah. It's been a great conversation. And if people want to find you, how do they do that? Sure. Either one of our two division websites, so montgomerytech.net or riser.com. 
And riser.com is our intelligent riser product. You can read all about it and see, watch videos and do all that nice stuff. And then Montgomery is our traditional website that kind of covers all the ground. So look forward to hearing from anybody out there at any time and happy to help. That's why we're here. Perfect. And you got LinkedIn as well, right? And I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm a late entrant, but now it's like I can't get off it now. I'm, I'm, all, I'm, I'm in every day. Perfect. Thanks so much for joining. And that's all for this episode of the Beyond Buildings podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode. And thanks so much again, Joe. Take care, my friend. This episode is sponsored by Iden Proptic OS, the operating system for building owners. Thank you so much for listening to the Beyond Buildings podcast. Remember to like, share, and subscribe. And if you like this episode, make sure to tune in to the next one and also see if other episodes could be something for you. Your host, the master of the metaverse, Nicholas Wern.